So welcome back, season six. We made it. <laughs> we made it. I, I, it was it was very much hit or miss, mostly miss, <laughs> mostly miss for the last few months. But we are back, Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Um, this is Matt, Matt Rash of the Restorages team, and yeah, we're season six, episode one. Great guests. We're going to start with some politics. Go back to our roots. Chad Livengood, politics editor of the Detroit News. Emily Lawler, politics editor of the Detroit Free Press. Both in new jobs this year. They're going to talk a little bit about what it's like to be an editor, being a journalist. And we're going to do a little bit of politic talk. Not a lot, just a little bit at the end. You'll listen to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. It's true, though. <laughs> yikes. <laughs> Don't yikes me. It was, a, it was just a... A thing that I said. <laughs> that I regret. On a podcast that was recorded. That everybody can hear. That was hear. sent out to thousands of people. Oh. Really? Thousands? Oh, six. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Cold Oatmeal, a podcast by the Rush Strategies team about PR and public affairs. Really. I was distracted staring at Joe's cold oatmeal. Yeah, well, it's here. He's got it on his. It's, on his it's desk always right here. here. It's always here. And by the way, the the, the ratio of like fruit to disgusting is like one to ten. I mean, it's got some disgusting stuff and some fruit. Yeah, there's like nothing disgusting. One part fruit. What's, what what in there is disgusting? I don't even know what's in it. But it, it looks like cucumber mash and maybe a couple of chopped apples. Did you have Burger King for breakfast? What was your? Say that. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so we are back. You're right. This is Matt Resch of the Resch Strategies team. You're listening to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast, season number six. Let's go around the room to remind our, all of our listeners who love us but may have forgotten who we are. Oh. Who are we? <laughs> Anna, you start. Anna Heaton. Nick DeLue. Carla Buell. Nikki O'Mara. Laura Beal. Joe Beshi. So we are a public affairs and a public relations uh, firm in downtown Lansing, Michigan. We haven't moved. We're still here. We're still doing our work. Stephanie's still not with us. <laughs> Some things haven't changed. Yeah. You can find us at reststrategies.com. We are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at reststrategies. And all of these podcasts are on our website, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and a bunch of other places. And we still, someone is still running the little Twitter account at Cold Oatmeal Pod. Hasn't been a lot of content over the summer it's and, been a and quiet fall, there. as I've seen. They've been quiet. Maybe now that we've yeah. Now that we're going to pick up our, our uh, responsibilities here with doing a little more podcasting, the, the Twitter account will, will pick up some as well. Yeah, that would make sense. Okay. So I want to get a little bit, we've we got two great guests. We talked them for a little bit. And after that, I want to get into a little bit state of the podcast, things that have happened since we've last all been together in this hot, stinky room. Oh, and does it smell it here? doesn't smell. It's not there, stinky. Like, smell anything? There are eight people in a Sometimes. really small room. It's got to smell. I've never noticed... But I don't podcast as often as some of the others here. Okay. Well, anyway, Chad Live and Good. Detroit so we're news. ugly and we smell. We're, well, according this to is Nick. a great day. According to Nick, yes, we are ugly. Thanks. Well, Nick oh just said God. we didn't smell. He just thinks we're ugly. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in this room is lovely. <laughs> That's not don't, a barometer don't, for how you look, though. Don't make me do an HR thing if you start doing this. What are you doing? Matt doesn't like the HR thing. He wants Joe, to not Joe make him is, do it. Joe's going to file a complaint. <laughs> I would be the one to do it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Chad Livengood, politics editor of the Detroit News, and Emily Lawler, also the politics editor of the Detroit Free Press. They are our guests on this kickoff episode of season six. Emily and Chad. 
So Emily Waller, Chad Livengood, welcome both back to the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Return guests, the Lawler and Livengood show. <laughs> you should do that. That's a good name. That, that's not we've we've done this show before. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, good. Well, we break that. Um, Return guests, but new titles. New, I have lots of new jobs, but yeah, you, Chad, joined us back during the pandemic. You were one of our remote guests. Uh, yes, I remember pandemic that. Pandemic time. I think Emily, you helped. Like bring in the pandemic because I think it was. <laughs> that's, that's a lot to put on. It, it was. The, it was the super spreader, Emily. Yeah. <laughs> it was the the prediction show. I think that we did at the yeah. end of nineteen. Right. Oh my god! Yeah, with, with Beth, Beth and yeah. with Kyle, yeah. aforementioned Kyle Malin from MERS. Um, yeah, and like shortly after that, the world shut down. Hell. I wish you hadn't mentioned it though, because now everyone can go back and see how terrible our predictions were. Well, none of you predicted the pandemic. <laughs> no, so I guess, uh, got that wrong. <laughs> Kudos to you on that. But no, it's it's actually uh, great to have you both on to kick off season number six. Seasons, season this is the sixth season. Obviously, how many our first time guests for other seasons were Kurt Berryman, right? Lobbyist. He yeah, was last year. Last year. He was last year's first episode. Charlie LaDuff. Yep. He was a season, th- I think he was season Two three. Seasons Joe mm-hmm. and I went on a wild weekend ride with Charlie LaDuff and recorded him down in Detroit. <laughs> I remember that one. Yeah. That was amazing. I, I'm still recovering from, from, from all of that. <laughs> Both survived. Oh, and I'm blanking. Come on, you, got, you all were there. Man. I wasn't. Zach, there. of course, was our, Zach and Emily Garant were our first ever. I don't remember season. The wrestler was. What's the, oh, did, the wrestler. Did Congo Kong buddy. kick yeah, off? Yeah, professional wrestler guy. Okay. Congo yeah. Kong. All right. Okay. That was, well, that was fun. Okay. Well, let's get into the to the real thing. So, you, uh, Nick mentioned you both have new titles, political political editors at the the competitor Detroit News and Detroit Free Press. Uh, this all happened springtime of this year, right? Yeah, we were part of the great uh, training season of political journalism. <laughs> I want to get into this a little bit because it was Free a, a, a remarkable like no other. It was yes. like the NBA trade deadline in like early July, and everyone was like, "Job, job, what, what, who's going where? What the a tr- three-way trade to this, these people to this that place?" And you guys kicked it all off. I think yeah. you were really the the dominoes that first that first fell. So, what what do you make of all that? You know, I think it's just a sign of a healthy industry at some level. Um, you know, I think that a lot of journalists for a long time have sort of operated in a scarcity mindset, uh, especially in politics. It seems like you know, I'm I'm sure that you or someone with a more longitudinal view could uh, talk about how big the press corps was. Um, you know, probably in the '90s. Is that a polite way of saying I'm really old? I <laughs> <laughs> Um, by, by the time I came into the press corps, there had been a whole recession, a bunch of layoffs um, at papers across the country, obviously. Um, and the press corps was pretty small for a while, and it's been really great watching it grow generally. So there there are more jobs. It's a healthier industry than it was, certainly, when I got into it 11 or 12 years ago at this point. Um, and I think that there was some necessary uh, shuffling to go on and, and sort of like revaluing and the other thing is like as we switch to subscriber models um political news is unique right like it takes it takes some heart it takes some some experience uh, it takes some analysis and i think that that's something that you know individual papers can contribute differently to the media scene and i think that people saw that and i think that um you know i think the subscription models ultimately drive better journalism i think is what we'll see 
Yeah, I, th- I looked it up. I think there were more than 12, more than 12 on the Capitol Press Corps who switched jobs during that crazy six to eight week period. I mean, Chad, what, I think a lot of people sometimes think media is dying, journalism is dying, but that felt like this is like, these are... It was an arms race. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Good, a good way of putting it. I, I think it is an arms race, actually. And um, so just a little perspective, I came back to Michigan in 2012 when I worked in Delaware for a couple of years as a political reporter and a couple of years in Missouri as a political reporter. I kind of fled Michigan in March of 08, if you could think of a worse time in Michigan, and I was at the Jackson Citizen Patriot at the time, and the Booth newspaper chain was was taking its bureau down to Peter Luke, basically, and mm-hmm. that was it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, I came back to Michigan, and at the time, I kind of told my family, like, you know, I this I'm taking this job at the Detroit News. I I think it's going to last a year. Uh, I think the news is going to last a year. Like, even I mean, even then, wasn't really certain that mm-hmm. the, that the, the that the two papers would survive together. Uh, and the news has always basically been. And labeled uh, the, it actually is labeled legally the failing newspaper um, of Detroit <laughs> under the joint operating agreement. A little, this is a little inside ball here, but uh, um, from when uh, going back to Gannett used to own the news, and then Gannett sold um, uh, or bought the free press from Knight Ritter, and they sold the news to a company called Media News, which was basically a paper. It was basically the owner of the Denver um, uh, newspaper, and from there. On there's the, then this uh, this arrangement where Gannett is the uh, primary uh, power player, so to speak, in the uh, in the joint uh, uh, operating agreement between the two newspapers in Detroit. So at the time, I I I gave it you know I was going to give it as many many years as possible. I went five years, and then in 2016 there was there was after right after the election they were announcing they were laying off 18 people at the Detroit News, and I got a pretty good job offer from Ron Fournier at the at Crane's Detroit Business, and I thought. You know, I'll, I'll make it easier on you guys and just make it 17. I'm just going to get out of here before, you know, because it looked like the lights were going out. And really, um, it, 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 the, you know, the my leadership will, will admit if, if the paywall didn't come along, it wasn't as successful as it's been getting people to go back to the old uh, fashioned way of just you have to buy this this product. Um, uh, the news I wouldn't have gone back to news myself. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, and that I got convinced that that the paywall is working, that it is for both papers, and both papers are growing uh, this year. Uh, I mean, this was not just uh, um, you know hiring, filling jobs, and, and there was some of that going on in both papers, but this was actually expansion uh, for the first time in years. Uh, um, and I'm basically my position was the first new editor job they created since they cut a bunch of editor jobs in that big layoff in 2016. So, um, so I, you know, I got, I got, I got, I bought into that, and, um, and I, I can see that it's it's definitely uh, working. Yeah, and that's us. And then you know, don't forget, there's been sort of this expansion of nonprofit journalism too. So you know, um, Bridge and Bridge Detroit are big players. I think there's been sort of this smattering of uh, sort of more partisan um, sites that are are nonprofits, and then um, not a nonprofit, but Axios came into Detroit. So I think Detroit and Lansing media scenes have really beefed up over the last uh, few years. And you know, frankly, there's been a, a dearth of talent too. I, I would say that like of the people I graduated with from Michigan State University, which is a giant university with a giant um, communications journalism uh, school, um, I think I only know one other person who's still in journalism because the jobs were not there when we came out of college. Um, And I I think that there's just been sort of a pipeline issue too. Um, And a lot of 
you know, talented journalists have gone into other fields over the years when they get pushed out of journalism. We actually have a labor crisis in journalism right a now. A shortage of, of yeah, of a shortage. Spots. Yeah, I mean, and it's affecting people. I know, I know, small town newspapers up north that have been looking for editors yep. for months, if if not almost a year on one of them. I mean, so there's just uh, there's just problems across the board. Fewer people going into J school, uh, or fewer people coming out of it uh, wanting to do journalism. Obviously, like if you like you know went to journalism school in 2016 or something and after seeing all these cuts and such you know and, and mom and dad said you really want to be a journalist um you know it, it can be definitely a turnoff and uh and so people have you know pursued their careers and that's that's really starting to catch up with the, with the industry right are now. the j schools catching up to this this shortage issue or are they slow at this point or are kids graduating with journalism degrees now i mean i guess it was only five years ago five six years ago yeah but. there's also a selection issue i would say when I go to talk to a journalism class, um, you know, I often ask like what they're interested in. I would say like 90% of the hands go up for like sports or fashion. <laughs> so oh, okay. I mean, politics is Sign a tough me up. sell. I'll that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, politics is a tough sell right now, honestly. I mean, it's, it's hard to get people interested into a field that from a very high level seems toxic. I went to CMU thinking I wanted to be uh, a sports broadcaster, and I found out that you actually have a better chance of becoming a professional football player than Dan Patrick on on, on the uh, Sports Center uh, desk. And so, there's just not many uh, many slots on the Sports Center desk. And so, so uh, I I ventured off into print newspapers, and I've been there ever since. So, I really thought you were going to say ninety percent of the hands went up for for polit- political reporting. <laughs> no, which shows you the the bubble that I live in, like. Isn't this Hollywood for ugly people in Lansing? I mean, we it's super interesting. Like, everybody wants to be here. Everybody's drawn to us. Who wants to be here? You're wrong. I don't know. I do. Everybody's drawn to us. But you know what? Like, like we need uh, reporters to cover cops and courts and totally. and in uh, county commissions. They, they've been sold. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the county commissions in the Wayne, just in Wayne, Oakland, Macomb County, have been so undercovered for so long. And so we started looking at uh, what are some of the areas we're going to expand. We're like, okay, we need a reporter covering the Macomb County Commission. Like it's, hmm. it, and also it's like it's very political. I mean, it's very like hot politics. Uh, that Oakland and Macomb County Commission, they are just one seat, you know, uh, majorities for both parties, and that very much you know bleeds into the rest of the regional politics, yeah. which eventually does make its way back to Lansing in many ways. Yeah, I've thought about that a lot with school board, like local school board elections. Like you can't keep track of however. What five hundred and something local school boards, right? No, <laughs> um, I mean nobody's got the resources to to do that, but they are like proving grounds right now. Like they're bubbling up. Um, you know that's where a lot of the kind of culture war issues that we see bubbling up into statewide politics are starting right now. And it's just like, how many local school boards can you effectively cover? And I think that's why, you know, outstate smaller papers are so important too, is because they're the people who are who are catching those on the, the ground level sometimes. Yeah, I, I can't remember a time when I've seen yard signs for school board races like I have this yeah, it's fall. it's crazy. Everywhere. I'd like to know where some of the money is coming. There's a one yeah. in Powell right now that uh, I'm getting mailers and uh, like pretty nice glossy mailers. Yeah. And, uh, and like slates, people are forming slates. Yeah, in they the are yeah, I, that. I mean, yeah. seriously, it's, that's not typical. Um, but I, I worry sometimes that like that's sort of an area we're missing, and especially with the concentration of media in like Detroit and Lansing. Um, you know, we do still need those smaller communities. Like we need eyes there. 
without tipping off my competitor here, there, there is a town in, in Metro Detroit where I'm aware of a super PAC now formed in, in to operate in a school board election. Wow. Uh, that, that's how that's how intense it is. So, you know, there might be some business for rest strategies. There. School board races, that's really, I think that's where I want to go. We should, that should be the future of, of our company. I thought you were going to. The gonna, legislature has done so well for us. I thought you were going to so say fun. running super PACs. I was going to be like, no, thank you. Yeah, all of it. Yeah. So. You say that people are getting used to the paywall idea. Is this because, I mean, the content that you guys are producing is so great, or is there a, a desire or you know a thirst for news? Like it, Nick mentions the the political bubble, and there is a small group of people that is obsessed with politics, and is that driving this uh, this yeah. willingness to pay, or is it a combination of both? What do you think came first? I mean, we need a big group of people to be really interested in politics, I right. think. Um, yeah, we, we, we already got all you in this room. Is that, what's driving, is that what's driving the subscriptions? Like what, yeah. Is that the sports I mean, page? So, so it is quality journalism. It's also just a mindset shift. Like, So I'm a millennial who gets Instagram marketed to, right? Um, there are so many products now that are subscriptions that I think it's becoming more normalized to people. Um, I went to buy some like fancy laundry detergent that smells really good recently. And like the only, (laughs) (laughs) the only option was that I had to buy this, you know, laundry detergent every four months for the rest of my life. Like there is no one-off purchase option (laughs) for this laundry detergent, which is silly, right? But, um, I think it's just becoming like a, a cultural norm that we count subscriptions as like part of our base price of living now. And, you know, my clear bias is that journalism is one of the more essential things you could subscribe to. We're also just reestablishing the, the reader habit, the daily habit. I mean, um, all of our parents, I'm going to venture to say, had a daily newspaper, showed up at the house, dad read it, then mom read it, and it was, or it was an afternoon newspaper that they arrived, or yet both. Yeah. I mean, in some houses, you know, and so you would... Uh, um, you, you'd, you'd get the Detroit Free Press in the morning and then you'd wake up or and after you get off of work, you'd get the Jackson Citizen Patriot or whatever uh, afternoon newspaper town you lived in. And that reading habit just died uh, uh, sometime around the Great Recession, just started you know, absolute decline. Papers scale back their home delivery, so people stop scale back their habits as well. Although the news and free press still, you know, they still print uh, seven days a week because there's there's people that will go that, that just go to the store to buy that paper on Saturday morning uh, because they they've had that habit. Well, unfortunately, those uh, those those folks are are kind of dying off, and uh, and so we have to create a new model that that gets them to pick up their phone. They already do pick up their phone. My my dad um, started uh, subscribing to the news when I started the news in 2012 um, and and has has never had the paper copy. He has been an e-edition reader every single day on like three iPads in the last decade. <laughs> He's gone through one after another and it's just it's just part of his habit and 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 he and he also reads the free press that way too. And then he will call me and tell him to talk to me about some story and I'm like, yeah dad I haven't even read that yet. <laughs> I'm flying from one thing to the next. So um so there there are actually I mean um we've got quite a few people who read that e edition every day. Um and that's actually I would venture to say there's more of them than there are more people actually buying the 
the print newspaper on Tuesday. Yeah. Um, that is, uh, and and so that you know, again, we had to had to be a subscriber to get that, and and, um, and they've made the business mo- the model uh, you know uh, affordable enough that, and of course, we have these you know the deals where it's like six months for a dollar or the or the twenty um, what was it twenty two dollars for two years deals they were throwing out you know so yeah I got I got a I got a, I got a, a LSJ and a Port Huron uh, Times Herald <laughs> subscription because of that so yeah. I'm good I'm, I'm set till twenty twenty four yeah I think too that um, in terms of like daily habit forming like you've seen a huge emphasis on newsletters across organizations I think part of it is because Axios came into the Detroit market and people are like oh shoot right a newsletter um, they've always existed in politics with things like MERS and Gongwer um, but I, I think you know you can subscribe to the free elections newsletter uh, should you so choose it's great <laughs> highly recommend it um, but I do think that's another thing that just like forms people's habits is you know it comes to them curated in the morning and it's that's sort of a, a digital replication of the curation you might get on the front page of your paper physically 20 years ago yeah I think that's got to be a big because there's so much news it's hard I think the, a paper a newspaper a physical paper organizes everything for you really nicely to just because we get we get the wall street journal at our house and I, like i never read every article all the way through but i can skim through all of that in about five or six minutes and figure out you know big national international stuff and if i were probably to go to the wall street journal website and try to scan through i would probably miss a lot of stuff that they were putting in there so it's it's an interesting thing that you're talking about the, the e-edition because that's always a, a fun way to to do it but do you think at some point actually printing the paper is going to stop Yes, it, it's it, or how are we going to frame headlines? Well, I, I, <laughs> when's the last you time you framed out. a headline? I don't know when that's going to happen. Out a couple right now. I'm going to stop. I, I, you know, I've stopped predicting when that might happen. But I, I do think that eventually it'll be a a digital only. Uh, experience. I, I think people still like that organization, though, mm-hmm. and and some people that have come to come to expect that they're going to want that. And they're going to pay for that. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we actually sometimes update the e edition after after the print deadline. The print deadlines are so early. Sometimes sometimes we update the sports stories in the e edition because um, if there's something late on the West Coast or whatnot, uh, we find there's there's use to that that, that people will appreciate that they have the actual score in the in. In, in the uh, in the paper where it sometimes it says you know late or whatever and and you don't have the coverage there um, so there is you know there's some there's some value to that and people people want that so can you fix something for me on this stuff so I have subscription I think I have like seven or eight different subscriptions and the thing that gets me every single time is when I see a story on Twitter and I click on it and it doesn't know that I'm already a subscriber <laughs> yes. same all the time same. all the time every day I'm like yeah. ah! No, I, I lose minutes to... and hours of my life to that. Yes. <laughs> I do agree. I do think that, like, hopefully, you know, if print ever does go away, hopefully our digital aptitude increases and gets better over time. I'm not saying we do a bad job digitally by any means, but that sign-in problem is huge. And it's across, like, I have that problem with the New York Times. I have it with the Lansing State Journal, right? Like, it's across the spectrum. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you're like, and what's you my password? You cash or something, and, yeah. Yeah, and all of a sudden you can't get back in. Totally. Yeah, no, we all we all struggle there. Well, one thing about, about Twitter, uh, you know, over, over time I've noticed that people just, that's where they get their news. I mean, that is where they see their headlines. And I have people who tell me, like, 
I just go and look at your page and see what see what you've posted. So, I mean, in many ways, we are curating individually what people are reading, and and that can that can also have a gatekeeper effect as well. And and people, you know, and then if something um, every once in a while, if I put something that's random like non politics. I'll get some questions like, "Why are you posting this story? You know, like, <laughs> like, what is this? You know, and and, um, and you know, I post things that I'm interested in, and uh, or I just think that it generally people might find interesting as well. Um, so sometimes it's you know, sometimes it is some random goofy story from up north, or, you know, or sometimes it's a you know horrific uh, crime and you know and, and or whatever yeah. else is in the news. How are your day to day jobs different now that you're both editors? and not day-to-day beat reporters? So certainly less writing. I would say that like every reporter has a tendency to either like reporting or writing more. I liked reporting more. I liked putting the screws to people in confrontation. <laughs> that I really miss. <laughs> um, I did not love like I'm. I don't consider myself like a you know someone who's flourishy about their writing. Like that was never my um, my favorite part of the job, I guess. So for me, I do still get to, um, you know, I do still get to do some digging. I do still get to um, help make writing better. And I do still get to, um, you know, get involved in the the reporting process with my reporters. And I I really appreciate that. But I I don't do very much putting pen to paper these days. Um, I find uh, it's a, yes, you're just using some of the some of the same skill sets. I mean, you're, you're, like, like Emily said, you got to still kind of discern what is the news here, you know, uh, call BS, you know, that kind of thing. And I, I do love, you know, calling balls and strikes and such. Um, oh, that's but, what that um, stands for? <laughs> balls, balls and strikes, yes. yes. <laughs> that's what it stands for. Um, but, um, and uh, the other day, I'll tell us a little inside story about naming names, but uh, we had a pitch about some TV ad you get from the campaigns, like folks like you, uh, come and pitch us and initially we're it, like it wasn't yeah, us, though. we'll do that one mate. we might do that we'll just send it over we'll take a look at it and then like by the end of the day like things are happening and, and I'm also like managing people now and, and I'm also managing some of their lives which is like a, like a, a little bit of a shell shock um, and I actually also Richard Burr is the Metro editor and he used to be the politics editor and so uh, and I worked for him when I'm in my, my, my last tour of duty at the news and so a couple weeks in I, I went to him and I was like I just want to apologize for all the time I was an a-hole to you. <laughs> I'm starting to understand like what you're saying. Like people, people just dump their suitcase of problems in front of you, and you're like, uh, I don't know what to do with this. But it I just, is like, maybe, like, do you have the experience where, like, as a like on the ground as a reporter, you had to tap into like your most critical self, and then like as a manager, you have to tap into your most empathetic self. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Yes. And totally. So, it's it's managing you know uh, all kinds of it's not just managing content you know just as a manager and such you know you're managing personalities and such and but um, but uh, but I, I you know I, I'm still writing a column when I can um, I would try to get to be more once a week but it's very hard right now in, in the election grind and this week actually Richard Burr's on vacation so I'm the Metro editor um, so I one of the reasons I was I was walking in here late because I was trying to make sure that we were covering like a court hearing in Ypsilanti uh, and just things <laughs> like the, you know things that just uh, assignment uh, work is uh, a, a whole different uh, aspect of it but it's making it's making me it's challenging me in, in new ways and that's what I'm really finding it pretty exhilarating. 
Well, just so you know, we, we have arranged for some major breaking news to happen while you're both here in this room, because I just wanted to watch your cell phones both go off, and you try to be polite and pay attention to the podcast while also looking at the news that's breaking. So it, we don't know when it's going to happen, but at some point here, when, while you're with us, this will, this will break. Anna's tweeting it right now. Yeah, she's, she pushed, you just pushed the button? Okay. <laughs> it is, it is if in only motion. we had that power. Uh, we don't? I mean, I don't know, do we? <laughs> yes, clients. Yes. So what you mentioned, Chad, social media for a second what advice do you give or would you give new journalism new journalists new reporters on how to utilize or, or how social media will dictate their profession or how they should use it do you talk to young reporters about this yeah um, a couple things i tell people is one um one of my advice to younger folks is like you need a twitter handle that is really your name uh i mean Meat and Potatoes 554 is not something that your average <laughs> news consumer is going to uh, um, uh, respond to or say, I, yeah, that that is uh, is John Thompson. Yeah, no, no, no that's not going to work. And so, like, having a clear name identity on, on social media is pretty, pretty key. Um, uh, I also tell younger reporters, like, hey, um, it's not cool to curse on Twitter if you're going to be using this as your as your platform uh, for for journalism, um, and uh, especially if we wouldn't put said said curse words in print, um, and so uh, those are those are some things I tell people. But also just like use it to, to inform people of what you know right now, and uh, and and try and try to add as much context uh, to it as possible because. You know, an extra tweet with a little more context in a string is is much better than just like a little blurb and there's nothing else, and then people will just interpret it. Um, I've I've learned that lesson over and over and over on Twitter every day, um, and I I kind of got dragged into Twitter in 2009. Uh, I didn't want to do it, but I thought it was because I initially was resistant that this is giving away our our intellectual product, mm -hmm. um, and then yeah. I just kind of fell into. Uh, uh, peer pressure so <laughs> okay a peer pressure to leader of the pack i so chad is like <laughs> prolific on twitter and but also what kills me is how many platforms you can keep up on like i only have so many hours in my day you must get more because i remember <laughs> when you were at cranes i like I log into LinkedIn like once every six months, right? And I log in and my whole LinkedIn is like Chad promoting Crane's articles. And I'm like, wait, I'm supposed to be promoting stuff here? Like, I didn't even know you could post on LinkedIn. Like, I go here once every six months and like clear out my requests. But no, Chad is very, very good at keeping on top of all the platforms all the time, I feel like. Um, I, I often feel like I'm sort of struggling to like, do the work and promote the work at the same time. And I think that's what Twitter is. Like, that's the piece where you promote the work. Um, How do you deal with the feedback? Because it's, I don't it's, get my it's worst, awful. I don't it? get my worst feedback on Twitter. I really? would say my inbox is by far the most. They, they like the anonymity <laughs> of being able to send it to you without anyone seeing it? Uh, I actually, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I think it's, Everyone, I think everyone deals with that. What she's saying is the old men strike hardest on email. <laughs> I'm shocked. Get I out my say. email machine. And like, granted, like I'm behind like a couple layers of like obscurity now, right? Like I'm not out front. I'm not the byline. I'm not the contact. I'm not the phone number on most stories. Um, but I will say that like when I was, when I was, 
doing that when I was the out front person, I was shocked at how many people would use their work email accounts mm. to email me just like <laughs> vile stuff. And like I like I thought sometimes like should I call this person's boss? Like it sounds like they need like the EAP. Like this is like unhinged, right? Um, <laughs> like I don't know. I do I do get just some like nasty nasty emails telling me to die and like that kind of stuff. Um, but I will say I got way more of that when I was out more forward facing I don't get my worst feedback on Twitter I do get like sometimes people like I would say the Twitter fights are more like intellectual like they'll be like why didn't you cover this or why did you present this this way or like I was live tweeting the Trump rally recently and people took me to task like why would you just repeat this and I'm like because it's what he said like (laughs) you know so you know I think that it's more like a a high at least a a little bit of a higher level of discourse on Twitter than in my inbox which is mostly just uh, people that's saying something sad yeah if Twitter is a higher level of discourse than anything yeah I mean I I actually I wonder what other news people's inboxes look like sometimes some folks tweet them and they're horrible like Ingrid um, Mm -hmm. you know at USA Today yesterday was sharing emails she was getting you know die and you know I I can't I don't know but I suspect that women get a special brand of uh, criticism I'm the C word sometimes I don't like that I generally, I generally tune it out. Do you? I mean, I just, yeah. I just, uh, you know, I will reply. Thanks a lot for writing, and I move on from the, from the, you know, the real vile ones. Or thanks for reading the news. You know, I, <laughs> I, just, say, I, I like just, thanks for reading because it drives home that we're still relevant. Yes. <laughs> so you you reply to these people? Yeah. I typically do. Yeah. I try, wow. I try not, not to not to miss an email uh, that like that kind of email. I might I may ignore your press release, but I. <laughs> no, really. <laughs> I see where we like, break right now. He won't answer me. I've been trying to get him on the phone for three weeks, but he's re- that's because he's busy responding to people, every wing People are nasty to you, but uh, I, I see how it is. Haters, PR but, hats. But Bob, Bob from East Point. We have to reply to Bob from East Point. Try to engage people. Twitter, I, I pick and choose my battles on on uh, on Twitter um, you know yesterday I, I, I we had a, a, a kind of an odd story where we we asked why uh, Haley Stevens had moved to Birmingham like we didn't know why she had moved. she had been, just moved to Waterford uh, like a year ago and, and, her, and her office came out and said well she's got a divorce from her husband of 13 months and here's a statement and I'm like oh. okay well I guess we'll write a story noting for the record that the congresswoman has been gotten divorced and a bunch of people jumped all over me about why are you why is this news and uh and how's your marriage <laughs> and i just replied like oh, i'm like well they they voluntarily gave it and i got divorced so thanks for asking <laughs> just, kind of, just kind of you know and i you know I, i'm pretty transparent i've a pretty public life and uh and i you know i just you know you know I, I occasionally i will i will mix it up with people and and, and um you know okay i was sad about that only because I thought the headline on Haley Stevens getting married was so good. There was that national, ma- I think it was like Elle magazine or something, ran one that was like, she found love in a hopeless place, and then the subhood was like congressional fundraising or something. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just like oh, so wow. clever. <laughs> Politics is where relationships go to die so often. Okay, you know what? I'm getting a little insulted. So far, you've called it like 
Hollywood for ugly people and that we're bad at relationships. Like, <laughs> I, I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about politics, the politicians. And and the hacks. I mean, we've, we've all seen it and working on campaign. That's why I got out of campaigns. I saw too many relationships fall apart. So. And I was getting married and I wasn't going to, I needed to spend more time at home. And, now I'm getting sad. Your pure Poor soul. I'm just getting Poor a complex. I'm like, wow, I'm really set up for failure here. No, <laughs> so, not you, not the, not political reporters. Next question. But, yeah. but, so, but, back, but back on that topic, Nick though, likes to turn the screws on is people. That hard? Yeah. Sometimes, this doesn't as much fall into your, I mean, it might fall into your editor roles. Is it hard sometimes to decide, like, is this a personal thing for somebody or do I write the story? Like, where's that line sometimes? I mean, that's got to be a hard thing to figure out because these are public Uh-oh. people. A hundred percent. I feel like I had a real, I mean, I, I don't want to be a page six reporter, right? Like if I wanted to do that kind of journalism, I would have gone in a drastically different direction um, and certainly learned far less about like, I don't know, energy policy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I struggle with that. And you know, the other thing is like people give you those sorts of tips all the time and like vetting them is, is yeah, I mean, you do have Laborious. to kind of... It is. I mean, it's all like interpersonal connections and like, you know, there are some that there's something too. So like, for instance, like Chad broke the giant Corsair Gamera story. Mm. Um, he did? Well, he had to bring that up, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> he would have brought I mean, it up at some point. Started... Right? <laughs> no, I, no, I'm bringing your it list. up. Oh my gosh. I'll brag about you. You don't have to brag about you. But you know, that was a, that started as a rumor that was circulating around Lansing for probably two or three months, um, I would say. And like, you know, it started out as like an affair rumor, which it turned out was not really the story, right? I mean... Yeah, and I, I have a, uh, a policy, and it, it was it was in place then, and still is. I don't care who you're sleeping with, um, but if it's, if you start using your tax your taxpayer resources and, and your your privilege uh, to facilitate it to cover it up, then then that's where you know my alarm bell goes off, and that's why I that's why I wrote that story. I mean, it was and it was as simple as that, and um, yeah, and, and I it, think it obviously a, devolved into a whole lot of other things, you know. But but I think that's a good standard, and I think that. You know, that's why we don't like on some level, if we just wrote about, you know, all the sleeping around going around in this town, like that's all we'd have time for. Right? <laughs> like, and it's right. not news. It's not news. It's not yeah. interesting. I'm sure that goes. Which, which brings around us around. back to Nick's Hollywood for ugly people to make it all the more better. It was like, right. wow, this is, we're really making Lansing sound depraved here. That, that, I mean, that story resulted in one divorce at least. But well, I was thinking about Lansing depravity earlier this week when the guy, the kid from Jackson had to drop out of his race. Cause like, did he like, drop out? Yeah. yeah. He dropped yeah. Out. But I'm like, he's 20 and I'm like, well, you know, he's like halfway through college, but like most of Lansing considers, coming to Lansing like I'm going back to college yeah. like they all act like they're back in school mm. no one's my parents are never going to see what I'm going to do here because <laughs> right. I can do whatever I want yeah, like, yeah I mean, we could talk about why anybody in Lansing thought it was okay to recruit a 20 year old right. to run for state yeah. house but um, uh, our track record on that hasn't been great in recent years no no we're not no we're not at all and so um yeah, these things things are dicey. I mean, just literally yesterday, I hand as the divorcee, I handled two divorce-related politics stories uh, between this this uh, voluntary disclosure uh, that they kind of wanted out uh, from from Congresswoman Stevens's office, and then secondly, uh, the messy uh, divorce of uh, one Christina Caramo, the uh, Republican candidate for Secretary of State, who's there was some tabloidish headlines a few uh, a month ago about uh, about uh, her. 
her um, ex-husband claiming in a court filing years after the fact that she had threatened to jerk the wheel and kill the whole family uh, when he told her that he was leaving her uh, in the in the in the family minivan. And um, and I you know I just pumped the brakes on that story. I said we're, we're we we got the documents. It was a Friday afternoon. We're not going to run this thing out. I mean, we need to talk to her. We need to we need to we need to and we need to understand what happened. Like it, just one court filing is not and that that's that's um that's a place of, of empathy you know i've having been in, uh, in in divorce court and such i understand that uh and a lot of journalism is just having some experience at something uh and being able to say okay well let's let's just differentiate about what is what and what's really matters here yeah. and and we have it in the story it's the bottom of the story i didn't think it was all that relevant and it literally just ends with you know here's her here's how she responded in court and and then and then uh you know this this little messy uh family court tussle ended with a judge saying that that the kids could go see her dad in florida i mean leave it at that mm-hmm. it is she is a public person she has opened up her her life to to some scrutiny um but beyond that i you know i think we have to afford people a little bit of privacy and a little bit of a little bit of compassion about you just don't know what happened in their marriage and you know compared to and and then, like you said you get some uh, some guy on Twitter who says, how's your marriage? You know, and, and so, you know, we just kind of leave it at that well, and try to stick to the policy. And at a certain level, like you're saying, how much does most of that affect her ability to run for office? You know, like I mean, none, really. Right. I mean, right. I mean and, 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 and this this candidate in in in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Jackson County. I mean, this was, uh, uh, you know, these police reports surfaced that he had made threats at school as a teenager and he's only a few years just from being a teenager Um, and so that that has a lot more relevancy uh, in my mind in understanding what happened here and 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 uh, and how can you account for it Um, you know that said I mean um, you know there's there's part of me that feels bad for that guy like how did he um, you know what kind of upbringing did he go through and what I mean it sounds like he was from a single um, mother uh, family and and um, you know things were not all that great um, and then again like how does how does the Democratic Party go to recruit this guy and not uh, not just get a little bit more background on him yeah. before they put him on the ballot unopposed in the Democratic primary yeah same but in that case I I also like sort of went through the calculations of like well this guy would also be in charge of school safety like there's an active conversations still going on about school safety in the wake of like Mm -hmm. Oxford and and, you know like obviously he'd be um, voting on whether to to fund some of those initiatives on you know potentially like what kind of um, penalties people who did similar things to to, you know I just I did kind of go through like the there is like a policy lens there I think the number of calculations that you two have to make mentally each day it's it's bigger than even I, I like coming and realize I, when you're talking about working in the empathy for the people you're covering too and the news value and then <clears throat> the idea that you're getting pitched on all this stuff that you know you're just sort of alluding to and things that you know we don't know anything about I, it, it's a tough job <laughs> it is a tough job i mean i like i always feel like if i'm making whatever 100 decisions a day i'm hoping that you know, 95 of them are extraordinarily good and the other five I can live with, <laughs> you know, right? Like, I just, you do have so much incoming that, um, that it's, I, I really have come to appreciate that, 
most newsrooms I've worked in have been understaffed on the editor front. Um, editing is not just getting copy, right? It's pl working with everyone ahead of time to plan coverage. It's, uh, you know, taking in a thousand tips or like directions that people want you to go in. It's setting your own agenda so that you don't get pulled by those tips every day. Um, and it's working with reporters to make sure that they have the best tools to, to do their work. Um, and it's also some stupid stuff sometimes, right? Like a content management system that I'm sure Chad loves, um, that I also <laughs> love. <laughs> Chad, the listeners can't uh, see you rolling your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think a lot of, I think the public perception and even my percep perception as a reporter was, um, you know, sort of like Chad said, I did have an urge to go apologize to every manager I've ever had. Um, because honestly they're, they're doing, you know, they're doing 150 things a day and um, sometimes sometimes things fall off the list. Or, um, and it's easy as a bureau reporter in Lansing not to see the sausage being made down in Detroit every yeah. day and not be not be aware of it. And then now we're in these roles where we're in the middle of the sausage making and we, we have a lot more appreciation for that now. I think of like the number of fights I staged as a reporter over like one word in a headline and I'm like, oh my God. Like, Shannon did not have time for that. And I took it every day. Like, <laughs> Well, I want to ask two questions, two political pundit questions before we let you go. We can't have the two political editors for the free press and news in here and not get, you know, what, 30 days before an election and without asking a political question. So I have two. First of all, what what have you been most surprised about about this election cycle so far? The biggest surprise for you? I would say at... Um Honestly, how, how lousy of a campaign Tudor Dixon is running for governor. Uh, I can't believe that there's not much more of a campaign. Seems like there's plenty of things to uh, talk about uh, related to Governor Whitmer's record. Uh, and it has been uh, surprisingly uncompetitive um, from August 3rd on. Um, I mean, and and so that that is that has been a little, you know, pretty surprising to me. Hmm. Well, if. If Chad's surprised at the lack of uh, effort, I suppose I'm surprised at uh, the lack of access. Like just the the number of candidates, sort of up and down the ballot, who have decided um, that talking to the media is not in their best interest has surprised and disappointed me. I wanted to ask you about that because you know, in the case we've got two really high profile governors in the country, in, in Ron DeSantis and in Gretchen Whitmer, and I've heard. Well, I haven't heard Whitmer's people say this, but they're kind of acting it out. Like, they don't need to talk to you. They've got, I mean, I think, what, $9 billion that they've got. And so, and I, but I have heard the DeSantis people say, you know what, we've got the money, we've got the social media networks, we've got, we can talk to the people we need to talk to. Now, the, the flip side is that Tudor Dixon has $8 as opposed to $8 billion, <laughs> And she is, I mean, her basically only way of communicating to the public is to be staging news conferences, kind of like the old, the old way of, of going about it. It's been an interesting, interesting thing to watch. And I think she's realized that um, she really has ramped up her yeah. news conference um, availability in the last few weeks, maybe a month, I'd say. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure that, to Chad's point, like, I'm not sure that makes up for sort of 
her overall strategy, which seems to be keying in on issues that matter to a very small segment of uh, Michigan voters. Yeah, yeah she definitely hit the uh, break glass moment last week, it seemed like. And, uh, you know, both of our polls, uh, you know, are, are having showing Whitmer up 16, 17 points. I guess I'm not all that surprised that Gretchen Whitmer has kind of gone underground uh, as far as talking to the report in the media, except for like yesterday where she has a big press conference to announce a big economic development plan uh, funded by the Republican legislature. I mean, right. I mean, they, the Republican, Republican legislature uh, gave her gave her, you know, a, a pile of money last week. And then and, and so she went and spent it uh, or at least committed to spending it. Uh, and um, uh, so, you know, but uh, at the end of the day, I also still think that, that the governor needs to tell us what her plan is uh, for for the next four years, uh, what her vision is. I know there's a lot of calculation in that. Will we have the Senate? Will we have the House? Yeah. Will we have nothing? You know, just uh, and um, and the Democrats, you know, probably ought to prepare for just nothing, just in case. Uh, they kind of getting used to that. So, um, but it, it, regardless of that, I think the the governor needs to kind of you know you know get, you know tell people you know, voters in particular what she intends to do. Um, and um, because there's there's a lot of people that will just look at this and say this is this is just a precursor for for going to Iowa in yeah. New Hampshire next year. Um, it's going to be so much fun when Pete Buttigieg and Gretchen Whitmer are running for president against each other, and they're both from Michigan. I cannot <laughs> wait. For that. that is going to be. Well, who does Michigan pick? That'll be so dun, much fun. Dun, dun. What do you think? Yes, go I'm ahead. Ask You're question. welcome. Go. Ahead. It's my first. Um, What do you think the polls would look like if Tudor Dixon had said, I'm pro-life, except in the case of rape, incest, health of the mother, and I don't support abortion on demand, but I think that is a choice that sometimes has to be made between a woman and her doctor. It couldn't hurt, um, you know, just with the way that the public's trending on that issue. And, you know, I think that you know, so in our in our last poll, we asked um, basically like what the most important issue is facing Michigan, and you know, about half the of the top two responses, twenty four percent each picked abortion and inflation, essentially. Um, and Tudor Dixon's sort of writing off one of those issues as anything she's going to court voters on, right? And frankly, has not focused on inflation as much as you would think, um, but. You know, like things like she did a whole rollout on her crime plan. Three percent of Michiganders um, identified that as their top issue facing Michigan. So, I think there's just sort of a mismatch in like the priorities of voters and what priorities Tudor Dixon has laid out for her campaign. And I think that we're we're seeing that play out. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I they would have at least countered that that first ad from the DGA that went up. You know, and was up 36. alone running the airway <laughs> for four weeks. Or I straight. had like my non-political friends were like, "Who is this lady Tudor Dixon, and why is she on every single time I open my YouTube?" <laughs> well, <laughs> like, when I when I open, man, both of my boys know the ad by heart. But I, when I was watching, you know, Big Ten football, you know, the Big Ten network streaming doesn't have enough commercials to fill the commercial break breaks, and so they just kind of repeat them. But every commercial in a football game, and there can be commercials every couple minutes, you know, and it's, it was the first one. I would hear it 15 times in a 20-minute period of time. I mean, I, I complained one day about how I got ended up, ended up on Hulu Children's programming. Yeah. I saw it multiple oh, yeah. times, and uh, and I didn't really want my five- and nine-year-olds to kind of hear about yeah. uh, this and, and have that conversation. Um, but, um, but, yeah, no, it was incredibly uh, – I would venture to say – I'll just go ahead and say this. This is one of the best ads – of the entire cycle 
um, nationally. Uh, it will it will prove out to be. Um, uh, it just it is just so defined yep. and, and yeah. boxed in uh, Tudor Dixon, yeah. and uh, she's now to the point where she's you know just yeah. begging for, for Republicans to stop talking or, or Democrats yeah. to stop talking about abortion, and mm-hmm. uh, it's too late for that. Mm-hmm. It's too late to beg for for a new subject. Uh, but I agree also. I, I don't understand how, she, how they haven't hit more on inflation and what has fueled inflation i mm-hmm. mean and and that's just not seemingly getting through in the messaging so let's wrap it up with this we all wake up november 9th you guys may not have gone to sleep yet so <laughs> what time you wake up i'm i'm gonna be, go to sleep but we'll wake up november 9th what do you predict a, a surprise that we will be surprised happened as after the election is over i would predict that there's at least one election you won't know the result of when you wake up um so i would just one (laughs) i mean like one big one a michigan a big michigan um yeah um or at least like a state legislative level yeah exactly i mean and uh, and also just like some procedural changes like clerks not modeming in results (laughs) i just like tanked your ratings Um, (laughs) um so that's an upset i think but um i think i'm gonna be i think i'm surprised either way by how the chambers, especially the Senate, will fall. Um, I just like, you know, with redistricting, I, I sort of think that there's a class of people um, who Nick has so aptly described, <laughs> but there's a class of people doing a lot of prognosticating about um, how the House and the Senate are going to fall and which districts are competitive and which aren't. And um, But, you know, like the bottom line is we're all working off old data, right? Um, and those districts have changed so much over the last uh, 10 years, and we really don't know what they're going to look like. And I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if some don't fall the way we think they're going to fall. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if... Um, some of the chamber control looks looks different than we've seen uh, in the past, especially uh, in the Senate, where things seem to be trending pretty close. I think there's a good chance we'll have two or three, maybe four incumbents in the legislature, you know, lose. Yeah. Uh, there's one or two that are definitely in danger, uh, and a couple more that could just 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 get caught here. You know, and then that's uh, that's kind of the beauty of elections, too, isn't it? Uh, and uh, and then, and also, I I think that we should be prepared that that there will be certain uh, uh, candidates uh, uh, in the Republican Republican Party who will not uh, accept the results, and that election denying will carry on for a long, long time. Well, he and said, what's going to surprise you the next time? <laughs> oh, yeah. I was surprised that Emily thought we had ratings. <laughs> that she had just tanked. I'm going to give you a five star. Or I'll be like four. I heard the word modem. How long does that, Chad, how long does that last, though? How long is that election denier thing? Is, does that last until Trump's gone? Or does that is that just now? I part I really of what we're don't. Doing? I don't know. I, it feels like what we're doing right now. Uh, I mean, we're still doing. I mean, just just yesterday we had a story about how Mike Lindell, the My Pillow CEO, is it has he's being sued by uh, Dominion for <coughs> defamation of the of the voting uh, machine company, a billion dollar lawsuit, and he's fishing for um, the passwords to Lisa Postumus Lyons uh, election software. The 
Kent County Republican clerk um, because he wants to be able to use this lawsuit to try to pry into a Dominion machine and prove some kind of uh, Chinese hacking conspiracy. Um, and and what? meanwhile, like like the deputy clerk over there, it's all he does full time right now is 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 handle FOIA requests yeah. and and twenty twenty denial stuff yeah. and legal stuff, and that's just it's completely consuming these clerks, um, and it has nothing to do with with the it has really nothing to do with the, with that that lawsuit yeah. and such. But um, this has been deployed in other jurisdictions around the around the state and the country, and I think it's just going to continue to consume our our uh, elections administration. I think it lasts until the Republican Party has a reckoning. Like, I mean, the Republican Party as an entity has not said that, um, you know, Trump's tactics were wrong or that the... the I mean, on Saturday, Lindell was 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 a speaker at Trump's rally with exactly. the entire Republican ticket. Exactly. Meanwhile, he's like causing mayhem in, in this traditionally Republican stronghold um, for the clerk who also was the lieutenant governor nominee for the Republican Party just four years ago. Yeah. I mean, there's this sort of no holds barred. Let Trump people just just run havoc. And yeah, you know, Emily's right. Until the Republican Party, you know, stands up and says, we're not going to going to do this anymore. Uh, it's going to continue to be what we're doing. Well, this is all very uplifting. Thank yeah. you for being with us. <laughs> <laughs> Um, actually, seriously, thank you, Chad and, and Emily, for stopping by and kicking off season six of the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. Did you? Did I ever send you the mug? You did this vir- virtually. I sent some mugs to people. Virtually. I did not did get you a make mug. the mailing list. No, I sure? do remember that podcast because I was just starting to like grow a beard out. We did it on Zoom, and you guys were noticing that I had some facial hair. And... Okay, well, we will get you a mug. <laughs> we'll get you some. We'll get you a mug. You have a mug, right, Emily? You've got. You've you've twi- you've tweeted it often. Thank you. We appreciate that. Hey, I'm a big supporter You're of that show. The and I definitely didn't accidentally leave it at the MLive office and what? miss it every day. Oh. <laughs> she needs another well, one. Good thing I ordered more. We have plenty of mugs to go. It's not around. like we don't have a cabinet full of we them. we got a lot of mugs. Anyway, Chad and Emily, thanks so much for being with us, and we'll be right back. So we are back. I'm so confused. Chad. Wait. Emily, what? As always. This is the end. We're going to the okay, end. Okay, okay. We did the beginning. Sorry. We're going to the end. We've been back every Sorry. time. <laughs> we just keep coming back. You're the comeback kid of podcasts. Coming back. <laughs> we had to limp to get here, but we made it. <laughs> Once we're here, we're, we're very excited. Yeah. So 137 days. That's how long it's been. I actually counted. Why? One by one. Why did I count? Or why did you count so one long? by one? Let's go with both. <laughs> I was curious. One. Okay. And I was. I just wanted to know how long it's been because, like, a lot of that's the longest break we've taken. Yeah. As a podcast team. Yeah. We're like we're gonna the legislature's gonna pass like a Labor Day start thing for us where we're gonna have to like start podcasting by Labor Day or they're gonna they're gonna <clears throat> take us down. But cut our supplemental. Yeah. So yeah, we we last end of May and what is it? It's like nearly November. But we're back. Basically, don't yeah. do that. It's early October. Yeah. Who was? What was our last episode? Um, the funny thing is, when I was getting ready for that, I had forgotten. I mean, I knew that Zach and Emily were on at the very tail end, but Chris Sell from MSU oh. was our was our last guest. 
<laughs> and so, um, yeah, that was, and that was our hundredth episode. Oh wow! Okay, remember? No, no. Okay. That's well, great. It was so. It was one hundred and thirty-seven days. Every time I log on to Spotify, it shows your shows, and there's the Cold Oatmeal Podcast, and it says the one hundredth episode. Yeah, mine. Oh, I'm, you, we're Nick, way you got down a little. You got a little brown right oh, here. Sorry. In your nose. I've got a lot of making up to do <laughs> after this episode. Yeah. Since we're all ugly and smelly. <laughs> I said not smelly. Not smelly. Yeah, I mean, a lot is. I mean, what's happened in 137 days? I mean, a lot. I mean, the queen died. That hadn't happened in 97 years when the queen died. That time that was that was done. Tear. Yes. Like the election cycle's like over. That happened in 137 days. That that ended about 137 days ago, though. Yeah. It turns out. Tigers lost a bunch of games. Michigan State. Michigan State like blew their whole season. That's fun. That's awesome. They were supposed to be good. Broncos are terrible again. Everybody cares. Life is great. <laughs> is there an, is there an update on the Adele front? Has that has Adele had her mm. concerts while we, since we were last together? Did she start it yet? Mm-mm. She started in December. She canceled and then has finally rescheduled. But so if she hasn't again. started, are we sure? No, that no. it will start. No, I don't believe it. Until it's it been an emotional starts. roller coaster, unprecedented. <laughs> um, if she cancels again, do you think she'll actually offer refunds? <laughs> Oh, yes. did she not offer refunds? Yeah, yeah, you could get oh. a refund, but I, I was, like, was oh holding out for the possibility that she would reschedule. So she's she not redoing, is she redoing the whole residency thing in Las yeah. Vegas? Okay, so that, the whole thing that was going to happen is going to happen. Is happening, but Supposedly. I believe it's December through March or something like it that. It moved across the street. So part of the draw, why it was such a big deal to get tickets is it was a very small, intimate venue. Of like three or four thousand people, which is really small when you think about like Ford Field going to a concert, and she moved across the street to a bigger theater so she could make more money. <laughs> so she sold more tickets, but now I don't know where we're going to be sitting. Right, I don't and know anything about that. Like we paid a so, lot because we were going to be really close. After all of this, you're still going to go. Yeah, duh. you're still giving. <laughs> no, but Nikki, to be fair, you were very angry. I am so still upset, but we I had a robust the experience. discussion. Yeah, we have. We have gone back and you're forth gonna many her. a time. There's also now rumors that she's coming out with another new album. Yeah, like around Christmas. Is it a Christmas album? No, oh. no. <laughs> I went to listen to her Christmas album. <laughs> um, here's the thing: is like, am I mad and irritated at her? Yes. But will I feel like I would regret it for the rest of my life if I didn't go? Also, yes. So I'm going to go. (laughs) That's a big. So what day is the, are you supposed to go? February 10th. Okay. Oh, wow. So there is an actual day. Mm Mm-hmm. Is that a Friday? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, good. So you weren't going to be here. (laughs) (laughs) Right. I also won't be in Wednesday or Thursday that week, just so you know. And that is Valentine's weekend. Yeah, oh. we're spending it together. Yeah, I don't romantic. Day. You don't? No. Oh. She's married. Come on. I'm. I've been oh. with the same dude for almost eighteen years. Every day is Valentine's Day. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> so we we're this gonna is the go kind of content people have been waiting one hundred and thirty-seven days for. <laughs> yeah, we're awesome. gonna go full hangover. Like we're gonna run the penthouse. Oh yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, it's gonna be a tiger. Who, walk with a tiger. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who's gonna yeah. Who's gonna wake up on the roof of the hotel? Me. <laughs> <laughs> the two of us she's responsible for taking care of me <laughs> in robert's absence yeah robert's giving me a how-to how to travel with nikki <laughs> I'm like, oh oh my God. God. it's a binder it's, i'm sure it's very neatly i bet it has tabs but it's very very well organized 
Starts with vacuuming the hotel room. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, it is good to be back. Um, We will, I, I should probably say, for our faithful, I was I was heartened to know that people actually missed us. At least a few people said, "Where are the podcast?" Mm-hmm. I missed the podcast, yeah, yeah. so we're back. I am going to say I'm going to warn you all: we are not going to be on the Thursday every other Thursday schedule. We're gonna we're gonna loosen up a little bit. We're just going to go with the flow. We're going to podcast when it moves us, when it feels good. It's going to be like curb your enthusiasm. You just nice. do it when you want to. Yeah. <laughs> you can go so, years yeah. without a season. Who cares? It may be another 137 <laughs> days before we're back. So just we'll send your emails. We'll get your email. If you uh, are subscribed, you'll get it You'll get it all there. You won't miss us. But I mean, they will miss us. Don't, oh, yeah. Don't tune in next Thursday thinking, okay, it's, it's Thursday. They got to be here. But that's the, that's the thing. That's the plan. That's cool. So I can do all this whenever I feel like it. Yeah, whenever. All right, we'll just I'll post get to it this next month. Sounds good. <laughs> we'll be trying to get less ugly in the meantime. And shower up. And not shower up. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, Nick will Nick will never let live that one down. I don't yeah. think. Jeez. Anyway, for Anna and for Nick and for Carly and Nikki and Laura and Joe, this is Matt. This is the Cold Oatmeal Podcast. We're back. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>